Good morning. How you guys doing today? Good. I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, doing great. Doing great. Uh, it is good to have you guys here with us this morning on our foundations, our, our second foundation Sunday of the year. That means we've got uh, 10 more left. It's crazy that this is already our second. We're, I mean, February is already over pretty much. Uh, so that's, this year is already flying by. Um, but if you have been here uh, the past few months, you've heard this word foundations, you've heard us talk about this, this uh, subject of foundations, and uh, this is our, um, kind of our, our theme for this year uh, in a way that we can uh, build up our spiritual foundation, uh, our, our spiritual foundations, that is, because there's more than, I mean, Jesus Christ is the foundation, but we've got to know why we believe what we believe. So foundations is our way of pushing back against a culture that is trying to destroy our spiritual foundation and the, the foundations of a, a righteous life and a, a life that is surrendered to God. You know, uh, we don't want to stay on the sidelines. We don't want to stay in the dark with this battle. So we are digging deeper. We are learning and we are knowing why. And we are becoming prepared. That's, that's the goal of this. That, this is our strategic plan to equip ourselves and, and our children to fight back against atheism to fight back against agnosticism, right? To, to fight back against humanism, against woke, wokeism, against progressive Christianity, which is a dangerous, dangerous um, ideology. Uh, I'll call it that. It's a dangerous ideology that is really attractive. It's really attractive to this culture. Uh, I'll be honest. It, it's attractive because um, it, it holds to the, the core some of the core foundations of Christianity, but it says that, that we don't really need Jesus. As long as we're a good person, and as long as we live and do the things that, that Jesus uh, said, but you know, we, we, don't, we don't really have to go all in. You know, we can kind of make it what we want. Uh, and it's very attractive. So this is our uh, attempt to fight back against things like that. You know, last month we used, uh, when we kicked off our, our Foundations uh, series, we used the, the image of a mobile and swift Patriot missile system shooting the enemy missiles out of the sky before they even come in and hit the target, right? Because in, in Ephesians 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 16, the Apostle Paul tells us to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And make no mistake about it. Me, you, our, our families, our, our children, our marriages, our, our community, our church, right? We are under attack. We are the ones, we are the targets of these flaming darts of the evil one, aren't we? Yeah. So as a God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-studying, gospel-driven Christian church, we cannot avoid this battle any longer. We can't act like it's not really happening. We can't just turn our backs to it, right? We can't sit to the side and hope it passes us by because it's not going to. It's not going to. The battle is here whether we like it or not, so it's time to armor up, right? It's time to armor up. However, we see so many we see so many Christians and so many so many churches that are just apathetic. 
that are, that are under-equipped, or maybe they're just too distracted by their own internal uh, challenges to, to engage in this battle. And many of you, uh, you know, you, you, were, you kept up with the Asbury revival, uh, and, um, you know, I read a headline earlier this week where it said, it was clickbait, it said the revival has ended. Well, when I clicked on it, it said that the revival at Asbury had ended because it was too big for the town to handle. Amen? That's a great problem to have, isn't it? So they moved it off campus, and, and John was telling me this morning that, um, it's uh, kind of affiliated with, with the revival. It's, it's a result of the Asbury revival, but they're doing a, uh, a large meeting at Rupp Arena this evening, today from 2 to 11, as kind of a continuation of, of that revival. How incredible is that? That's awesome, isn't it? And, and so, you know, that when we first heard of this revival, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, it just sounded too good to be true. It sounded too good to be true because this is a generation, you know, Gen Z, that we desperately want and we passionately need to turn back to God and his word. Amen? And man, isn't it incredible how genuine that revival is? It's so true, so genuine. And so we applaud it. And, and we celebrate it, and we should, we should want that kind of revival here in Putnam County, here at Gateway Christian Church, right? Amen. And if it is real revival, then there will be true repentance and true worship. Hearts will be changed, minds will be changed about Jesus, and lives will be changed to reflect Jesus' desire for us. There will be a desire not only to worship God, but to study his word and to be a true disciple of him and push back against this increasingly immoral culture. And so last month, we shared a message uh, called God is Real. And we shared several lines of evidence to, to establish that fact. We shared several lines, and so I want to quick, quickly remind you of those lines. The first one was biogenesis, which is this idea that, that life can only come from life. It cannot come from anything else. It cannot come from anything else. We also looked at intelligent design which uh, establishes the fact that the intricate design of the elements of creation that um, they point to a designer, a capital D designer, okay? We also looked at the existence of morality. You know, a moral conscious, it could not have just evolved, right? There has to be a standard of right and wrong, a standard of morality, and we believe that standard to be God in his character. We also looked at, at subjective experience. Anybody been on vacation lately? No? No? Raise your hand if you do, if you have. Yeah, okay. Emily, have you, uh, did you have a good time on your vacation? No, you didn't. No, you didn't, right? That's, that's subjective experience, right? I can't tell her that, that she didn't have a good time because she had a good time. Same way with our relationship with Christ. If we have a personal, personal relationship with Christ, no one can argue that, Right? And revival, speaking of the Asbury revival, that is a great example of subjective experience because it, it, it exemplifies and it shows that, that God is still working and still moving in human hearts today. 
We also shared on Sunday evening during our, our, fine, uh, our foundations training uh, this thing called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. And it says that everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. Now, we believe that that cause is God, our creator, right? Uh, and we could go into much more detail. You know, that's just a, a kind of a, a blanket statement there. Uh, but there's so much detail into, into that argument that we can't go into today. But if you'd like to, to, to learn more about that, you can talk to me, Dave. You can talk to, to Tim Yankee. He's uh, uh, an expert on that as well. Um, but there's so many lines of evidence for the existence of God. And the last line that when Dave was here last, uh, last uh, Foundation Sunday, the last line of evidence was more of a philosophical line of reasoning. Um, it might not be the best, but when you're at the end of the rope and you know, you're witnessing with your friend and, and nothing else seems to work, this might be your, your last go-to effort. And that is, that is Pascal's wager which is, uh, it basically says that if you believe there is no God, and there is, then you lose your soul for eternity. So don't, do not bet against God. Now, all of these are, are great, and they all help us, you know, uh, shore up our spiritual foundations. They're all something that, that you can use in your defense and in your offense of, uh, of your faith as you share it with others. Um, so with that recap, that, that leads us into what we're going to be talking about today, which is creation. God created our world. You know, so atheistic scientists, they are, they are telling us and they are telling our kids that the universe, it created itself, right? The universe created itself, that, that something came from nothing. And then in a fraction of a second, that nothing became so incredibly dense and, and so unimaginably hot that it, it, it exploded into space. And then all of these projectiles of nothing were pulled together and precisely stabilized. And then spinning around and around, that nothing eventually caused everything to exist. That we know exists at least, right? including you and me. So, uh, our object lesson today that we're going to help, uh, you know, that we're going to use to help us uh, conceive this will be to try to create something out of nothing. And uh, so, I'm just going to take this nothing and set it right here, okay? There it is on the, on the nothing table right there. And we're going to leave it there, and hopefully by the end of the service, we'll have something. <laughs> All right? Uh, uh, now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit skeptical that this nothing is going to create something. That is, it's going to become something, um, and I don't think it's going to work, right? And if it's not going to work on our scale, it's probably, probably never worked on a universal scale, okay? Probably never did. The chances are the same here as they were, or the chances were the same then as they are now. So, I personally am not buying this something came from nothing argument, right? In fact, uh, Frank Turek, uh, he's a, a very prominent Christian apologist uh, today. He wrote a book titled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And I, I agree with Frank, don't you? I don't have enough faith that this nothing will create, will form into something. 
It just doesn't work like that. So we believe that God created our world. In the very first book of the Bible, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that makes a whole lot more sense to me than this something from nothing nonsense. And, you know, we, we admit that our view, our stance, it does take faith, right? It does take faith, but it's a faith that we can actually back up, that actually has quite a bit of support to it. The writer of Hebrews tells us that, that it is by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And in fact, as, as more evidence is revealed to us in Scripture, we see that Christ, the, the Son of God, was the main agent in creation. And the writer of Hebrews goes, uh, he goes on to say uh, that in the beginning, sorry, the, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews says it was by the word of God, God and in John, uh, John's gospel, we get clarification when we read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And when he said nothing was made without Christ, what does he mean? He means nothing, right? Nothing was made without Christ. And this to us, it means that everything we see, everything that exists was made by him. Look up, look down, look left, look right, look behind you, look all around you. Everything you see came from God, came from God through Christ by creation. Through the prophet Isaiah, God draws our attention to the heavens when he says this, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. As the psalmist said, the heavens do indeed declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And I love how, how God draws our attention uh, to his creation and, and the involvement in the earth through uh, Psalm chapter 104. So uh, over the next three and a half minutes, I want you to just sit back and we've got a reading of the, the whole chapter of Psalm 104. I want you to sit back and take it in. Sit back and, and just uh, let yourself be amazed by, by the, um, just by God. Be amazed by it. If you want to sit and close your eyes and just listen to it so you can focus on, in on it, you can do that. But John, you can go ahead and, uh, and play it. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent that lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. 
but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys, to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers, the high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the hyracks. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor, until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, as we move on in this, this topic that, that God created our world, uh, I just want to make a quick comment on, on a, uh, a very prominent disagreement um, among Christians uh, about the age of the earth. Okay, so they're, they're, most of you are familiar with this, uh, and in, in case you aren't, like I said, I'm just going to give you a brief rundown uh, of these two views and as I said, this is brief, uh, so it's not going to hit every single point. So if you uh, align with one of these views and I miss something that, that, that you believe regarding this view, keep it to yourself, all right? I don't want to hear it. Just kidding. You can come up and talk to me after, after uh, service and I'll tell you how wrong you are, okay? No, kidding again. Uh, so uh, this, um, this view, this, this, this disagreement stems from this old earth versus young earth uh, discussion, Right? So let me, uh, like I said, briefly explain these views. 
There are some who hold to an old earth creation, right? This position, it holds the view that, that biblical and scientific evidence points to an earth that is roughly four and a half billion years old. And those who tend to believe this view typically take the stance that the word for day in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 mean a period of time. So kind of like in this day and age, right? That is a period of time. That does not mean a literal 24-hour day when I say it in that sense. So um, it, it, it's common to believe with, with this view that although the earth is, is that old, God created humanity only about 100,000 years ago. Then there are those who believe uh, in a young earth, right? This stance, it uses the same biblical and scientific evidence as old earth, but takes on a more literal interpretation of the word day in Genesis 1 and 2. So when, when he says day, that means a literal, they, uh, those interpret that as a 24-hour day. So... Um, those who hold this view, they typically claim that, that God created the earth with the appearance of age, right? To appear as if it were four and a half billion years old, okay? So in this sense, uh, God would have, would have created Adam and Eve uh, as mature adults, and he likely would have created all of, of plant life, um, you know, fully grown, fully established to appear as if it had been here for, for ages. Now, with that, that brief background, uh, I want to go ahead and make my comment on this. You know, this can be a fun dialogue between believers, right? We can have some great discussion with this, uh, but as well, there can be some great disagreement that can, that can tear relationships apart. And with that, this old earth versus young earth uh, dialogue is not is not a hill any of us should die on, is it? Regardless of your stance. Truthfully, we call this, um, you know, the, this old earth versus young earth stance, we call it a non-essential. It is non-essential to our faith. And what I mean by this is that it is not something we should spend countless hours arguing about. And it, it is certainly not something that we should divide over. Discuss it all you want, have friendly disagreements with it, but move on about your life, right? Instead, we should offer liberty and grace to those young earthers. I mean, to the other side, to the other side, right? Now, first service, I called out uh, you old earthers out there, so I, I had, to, had to balance it out, okay? We should offer liberty and grace to those who, who we don't, uh, who our beliefs don't align with, Right? That's great. You can believe that. That's totally fine. It's not going to affect my relationship uh, with, with Tony as a brother in Christ, right? Have freedom to believe what you want, right? If we argue about these things internally, all that does is it gives the enemy a foothold on us to, to discredit us as Christ followers. The last thing is that it should not prevent us from learning both sides, right? It shouldn't uh, prevent us from defending our faith. We shouldn't throw up our hands and say, well, it doesn't matter what I believe, so 
you know, I'm not even going to worry about it. No, no, that's not, that's not what we should do, right? It's not what we should do at all. We should equip ourselves. We should equip our, our children with both sides of the issue so that when, when they're faced with opposition on this, they will be able to stay grounded in their faith. I had an assignment once in school where I had to give my opinion on old earth versus young earth and, and how you know, I interpret this word yom, the Hebrew word yom for day in Genesis 1 and 2. And the first part of my conclusion was that it's simply my, my opinion simply does not matter. It simply doesn't matter. At the, end of the, at, at the end of the day, all that does matter is that I recognize that God is responsible for creation, right? And he has the power, he has the authority, he has the capacity, he has the, the knowledge, he has all the tools in his tool belt that gives him the ability to create it in whatever fashion however he wanted to create it over however long time, right? He is the only one. So that's, that's number one. That's all that matters is that we acknowledge God. But the second half of my conclusion was kind of what I've already said, is that we should. We shouldn't use that as an excuse to, to push it to the side, but we should use that, uh, that as, as a way to ground ourselves and have a firm answer on this, on this issue. Because what's it going to say when you're witnessing, witnessing to someone and they, maybe they, they're hung up on this, and you say, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. You can believe what you want, uh, you know, as long as you acknowledge that God created it. They're probably going to view that as, as apathy, right? So, so have an informed answer on this. Know why you believe what you do. So all of this, you know, it leads to the question of why. It leads to the question of why. Maybe some of you have, have thought about this and, and you acknowledge that, that God created our, our world, created us, but you're left, you're, you're left with wondering why. Why did God create our world? Why did God create us? Why did he create me? And so I want to take a minute to answer that this morning. And, and the answer is, is really simple. He created it for his glory created it for his glory. God created our world and all that is in it, including you and me, for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 reads, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. What does this mean though? What does this mean? It means that, that God, who is entirely self-sufficient, who needs nothing and, and knows all things, chose through the overflow of his glory and love to communicate himself through creation and in creation. God didn't have to create us. Nobody forced his hand to create us, right? He wasn't experimenting with, with, his, with his powers, right? It wasn't like, oh, oh, oops, sorry, created that right there. No, he hasn't created countless other universes with, with life forms that didn't work out and which leaves us as a cosmic accident, right? He wasn't lonely and in need of companionship. He wasn't looking for something or for someone to love. God himself was altogether happy and fulfilled and glorious from the beginning, 
And he isn't just selfish and vain either because that is purely a human trait. God, he, he didn't create us for those reasons. And that simply means that, that God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing eternally in perfect unity and love, chose in the overflow of his glory and love to create a world and everything in it and to give us intimate knowledge of himself. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And in Colossians 1.16, he says, for, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And because God made it, he owns it. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And I love what what Job says in uh, chapter 12, verse 10, he says, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Isn't that just an incredible verse of scripture? That God He holds our very breath, the breath you just took. He holds it in his hands. The the breath you just took, the breath you're about to take, he holds it in in his hands. And that just shows how incredible God is. And it shows how, uh, how fragile we are. And aren't you glad that he loves us so much? Amen. Amen. So that leaves us with, with this question, what now? What now? We've answered the why, so what now? Well, it's simple. Give God the glory. Give God the glory that he deserves, right? We'll talk more uh, next month about how we can do this specifically, but for now, in everything you do and in everything you say and in everything you think and in everything you are, give God the glory. Point to God's glory, Let your life point to the glory of God. Let your trials and your pain point to the glory of God. Let your joys and your successes point to the glory of God. Let your marriage, let your family, let your children, let your relationships point to the glory of God. Let your jobs point to the glory of God. Am I clear that we should let everything point to the glory of God? Amen? Amen. Amen. This is the kind of life that God has called us to live. Whatever you do, let it point to his glory. Be intentional about that. The psalmist said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is the song of heaven in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I don't know the lyrics to that song other than that right there, but I want to start singing it right now, right? You guys probably do too, and we should start singing that right now, proclaiming that glory to God, right? Announcing that to everyone. So that leaves me with this question for you guys and for us this morning. Is your life 
And is, your, is everything in your life, is it pointing to God? Is it pointing to your creator? It should be. It should be. You know why? Because one day about 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem, there was a cross that was in the ground and it was pointing to the sky. And it was pointing to the glory of God. And because of that old cross, you and I and all who have trusted Jesus for salvation, we have grace and mercy. We have forgiveness of failures and forgiveness of our sins. We have new life. We have hope. And we have an eternity to spend with our Savior. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you guys to go ahead and stand with me as we close here. Uh, I'm going to pray. And uh, the band's going to lead us in another song. And during that time, if you have a a decision to make, uh, I want to invite you to come up and and, and talk with me about that. Maybe it's prayer, uh, whatever it is, you know, whatever that next step is in your faith journey. Maybe it's your first step. Maybe it's your first step. I'm going to be up here. I'd love to talk with you about that and and maybe... um, Maybe just, uh, just pray over whatever's going on. And, and, and the rest of you, uh, I encourage you uh, during this next song to, to add this message, uh, not just during this next song, but I encourage you to add this message to your spiritual foundation as you go out there and as you face that battle. Let's pray. God, we are just so thankful this morning. And we, uh, I, I am standing in awe this morning of who you are. And I'm sure there are many others in this room that are standing in awe of you and your love for us. God, you didn't have to create us. You didn't have to create anything, God. You, you are whole and you are perfect and, and you are loving without us. But God, you created us so that we could have a relationship with you. And, and I, God, I pray that in, in all things that we acknowledge that you are the one that, that, that spoke life into existence. And it is only because of you that we are able to have life. So God, help us to, to remember that as we go out into the world, as we share the message of your love with others, that, that, that whatever we say, whatever we do, it, it ultimately points back to you and it gives you all the glory that you deserve. Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen. If you've got a decision to make, like I said, I'll be up here in front as we sing this song.